is depression funny? I don't think so. I mean, I feel like, of course, there can be good, uh, there can be funny jokes made about it. But I feel like, is everybody depressed? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So. Well, the, certainly the neurotic comic is an archetype. Yeah. And I guess maybe the depressed comic is an archetype. Yeah, I think we go through phases. Yeah. And then people jump on like, this is me too, where it's not authentic. I feel like I can always tell when it's authentic. I love that people are aspiring to be depressed. And That's... I'm like, why? And <laughs> See, and you said depressed. And what I was just going to say is weak. Oh. I was going to say, why would you want to be weak? There you go. See? <laughs> It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. On this program, we talk to people who are funny and who have had firsthand experience with clinical depression, with ClinyD. You know, once you have ClinyD, you more or less get to a fork in the road. On Path A, you can seek medical help. You can get to a therapist, try exercise, meditation. You can read a book about mindfulness. Or you can choose Path B. Go into denial, run like hell, keep busy, and talk yourself out of it. Path A is widely considered to be a better idea. My guest on this episode went down Path B. I am Janelle James. I'm from the Virgin Islands, currently living in New York City. Janelle James is a comedian based in New York. She's appeared on Comedy Central, HBO. She's toured with Chris Rock and Hannibal Burris, been written about in the New York Times. I talked to Janelle here in St. Paul. She was in town headlining at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis. Here's Janelle on stage on the show Night Train with Wyatt Cenac. <laughs> I was online just recently. I was on Twitter talking shit. That's what I do. I'm a comedian. And this guy, he called me a gorilla on Twitter. Right? I know. That kind of stuff don't faze me. It just made me think, you know, how empty is your soul? You know? Like, where's your sense of wonder? You know? Here you are. You talking to a gorilla. I'm on a computer, I'm typing, you know? I know what Twitter is, why are you not like, holy shit! <laughs> the world is amazing, like why would you, why would you be mad at that? Janelle's journey through comedy and life and mental health is one that you don't often hear. Janelle grew up in that hotbed of stand-up comedy, the U.S. Virgin Islands, in poverty, with eight siblings. When you grow up, like, poor, you just learn how to entertain yourself and each other's. I was just reading about the uh, the Wayans family. Uh -huh. You know, you know they're huge. I sure. think there's nine of them or whatever. Yeah. And they, like, grew up really poor and part of what they all say in interviews is that they used to put on shows for each other type thing. So I remember like doing that with my siblings. 
Folks like Dave Chappelle, Maria Bamford, Chris Rock all started doing stand-up in their teens. Other comedy performers trained in college and went into the business immediately after. Janelle didn't even begin doing comedy until she was 30. Before that... I went to fashion school. (laughs) And uh, I went to FIT. Fashion Institute of Technology. Top fashion school located in New York. I was in high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was graduating. And one of my my best friends at that time, was we were like, she was like, we both like clothes. (laughs) (laughs) We should go to fashion. I was like, okay, because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what else I was going to do. So I ended up going to fashion school and working in fashion for fashion and fashion PR for like eight years. Did you do design or just the PR for the most part? I did design and then I got really, I, I realized that it wasn't like TV, you know what I uh-huh. mean? I, I think at that time, like, uh, what's that runway show with uh, that was big where they had the Project amateur, Runway? Project Runway yeah. was out. That was part of our decision. Like, that's how I made decisions when I was. <laughs> Always best like, it's just to base like, life choices on television programs. <laughs> it's going to be like Project Runway. And then you get to actual fashion school and you realize it's like all rich kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that all the people that you know about the Oscar de la Rentes and all, they all came from money. Yeah. And so you're not going to be that person unless, I mean, I guess you could, there's one in a million stories, but sure. I wasn't. No. And so I went into PR after that. Still not on the fast track to comedy, but at least she's in New York. Well, in between all that, the eight years that I was in New York, I had a, a, a kid, I got married and uh, he at that time was a teacher, and then he wanted to do his uh, Ph.D. And so he applied at, uh, in uh, University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. Okay. That's how I ended up in the Midwest, which is where I started. <laughs> so, uh, that's yeah. A, that's a jolt going Exactly, from... and I did not want to go because I was New York fashion girl, you yeah. know, chick. I was like, hell no. And then I got pregnant with my second kid, and I was like, well, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you go to the Midwest. Might as well when go you be just fat give up in the Midwest. And you go to the Midwest <laughs> and be a mom. You know yeah. that type of. Sh- I was just tired. Also, I was just telling someone last night. Uh, we had a mice, uh, a mouse uh, infestation in our part. It was just like all these things that I was like, I need to leave New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's how I ended up there. Janelle had worked after her first child was born in New York. With kid number two, she stayed home. Thing is, Janelle is someone who likes or needs to be very active all the time. So those first two years, I don't even fucking remember. Just a blur. And <laughs> but after that, I'm the type of person I'm like, OK, new experience. I'm like going to become this thing. So I was like, I'm going to be the super mom. You know what I mean? You know, so I was like gardening. I was like, I'm going to do this whole fucking Midwest thing. So fucking lovely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the best of, you know, the best stay-at-home mom member. And so I was doing that. Casseroles. Casseroles. I got fuck. I'm sewing. I'm just, you know, I'm into it. So let's count the curveballs in Janelle's life to this point. Grows up poor and the oldest of nine in the Virgin Islands. Leaves for fashion school. Drops fashion design and gets into fashion PR in New York. Has a baby. Leaves New York for Illinois. Has another baby. Big sharp turns all over. And she tries to be a traditional Midwest mom. That's not who I am. Didn't quite take. <laughs> Didn't so take. I think I did like a, a year of that, like hardcore, you know. But uh, yeah, then I was like, where the fuck am I living right now? And so um, getting to the topic of this uh, podcast, I guess I got really depressed. 
<laughs> yeah. Had had that been a thing earlier in your life? Um, I mean, I grew up in an abusive household, but I don't think, I think depression is something that black people don't really hear until we start hanging around with white people. Like, that's <laughs> y'all shit. It is, you know? So I don't, you know, I'm sure I knew what the word is, but I was like, that's not, we just having hard times. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not depression, you know? So, uh, so I'm, I suppose. <laughs> and and why, why is that? Why wasn't it a term that you would come across, do you think? Because I've heard theories from, from black comics that I've why talked to. Why that doesn't? Well, we're kind of taught, I mean, our whole mythology is that we're so strong, you know what I mean? And so it's so, it's like a fucked up, uh, byproduct of racism that we have to be both like or we maybe we feel like we have to be both docile and strong at the same time <laughs> you know what I mean right. so we're getting a lot Quiet a lot of resolute yeah we're getting a lot of mixed messages and it kind of fucks your head up and then at the same time we're told you're not allowed to be upset about it you know yeah. what I mean so um also I feel like a lot of us feel like if we allow ourselves to you know, fall into some depression. Like we're, you, uh, we're just not going to survive. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) You can't have a vulnerability when you're already at a disadvantage. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good way to put it. That's exactly what it is. It's just like, now you're hanging around with white people talking (laughs) depression. It's all working out. And the Midwest was an excellent place (laughs) to hang around with white people. You know, I learned so much about white people there. plenty of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt like a, uh, anthropologist uh, in the Midwest. Right. Do, yeah. Doing research. I mean, of in course, you're not hung with white people before, and it, I went to fashion school and all, but it's a different type of white, which uh, is a, another thing I'm interested in, like all the subsets of white people. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For the record, I'm not from the Midwest. I'm from the West Where, Coast. You're from the West Coast. And with the, uh, another totally different kind of white. Another totally yeah. different strain of white. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I feel like. People try to act like white people are all this one thing. And you guys have your sections. It's all very interesting. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, comparative Caucasian anthropology is a relatively recent pursuit of Janelle's. Depression goes back further. So now I can say it. And this is like why the black uh, people's aversion to depression is so fucked up. Because I definitely had postpartum depression. After your first kid. After my first kid. And I was like, nope. <laughs> what do you, you mean, nope? I mean? Like I had read about it before, like while I was, you know, you read your pregnancy books and you say, and they say, this thing might happen. I was like, not to me. You know what I mean? So when it happened, I was like, this isn't what it is. You know? So you so, just denied it. Yeah, I just denied it. And How did that um, work out for you? Well, I started getting like all this random, like physical pain. Like my hands would hurt and I would, um. I would always ask my husband to like squeeze my hand because it just felt like it felt like I could feel every nerve in my hand just, you know, burning. And so I was getting like back pain, lower back pain. I was just like so I was going to all these doctors. They were like, you have lupus, maybe it might be like a, a autoimmune thing, like so many like uh, theories. And then this one guy, I think he was a neurologist. We were talking and he was like doing all these, re- you know, the reflex, your knees. How did this feel? And he had this. uh it looked like a feather attached to a pen and he was rubbing it on my palm and he's like, do you feel that? Do you feel that? And he was like, you know, you just had a kid. And I was like, you know, like a year ago, he's just talking as he's doing it. And he says, uh, and you've been having this pain since when? I'm like, you know, like it started like six months after, you know, ago. And he's like, uh, anybody ever asked maybe, you know, do you think maybe you're like, maybe you're depressed? And I just started bawling. <laughs> wow. 
Why? Because I was like, that's what the that's what it is. And I think I knew I just didn't want that to be. I don't know, because I felt like that was weak. That's not who I am. You know what I mean? So. Uh, were you bawling because that was devastating to hear or were you bawling because you were understood? Like relief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yes. That's it. Can if you say it, can I say it now? You know what I mean? That right. I have a diagnosis or something like it's official type. I don't know. It was just so many. And all that pain like went away. Like once I knew what it was. We tend to think of mental illnesses as emotions that you feel or that you can't feel. And we don't associate them with physical pain. Neuroscientist Daniel Levitin says the pain is in your head. But that's not all. Everything's in your head. If you stub your toe, it's your brain that experiences the pain, not your toe. Uh, and if you need proof of that, if I scoop your brain out of your head, you're not going to feel that toe pain. But on the other hand, I could cut your toe off and you might still feel pain from the missing toe, the so-called phantom limb phenomenon. I think the other factor here is that we need to recognize that depression from a neurological standpoint is characterized by actual biological changes in your brain chemistry. Now, some of these changes lead to anxiety, which can exacerbate pain and slow down cellular repair mechanisms. Uh, other changes in the brain chemistry can play with your resilience uh, or even cut off the brain's own endogenous opioids, which are your body's way of, of providing an analgesic for pain. As long as I had Dan on the line, I asked him about what Jeff Tweedy said on our show a few episodes back about getting migraines that he felt were like a physical manifestation of psychic pain he was feeling. My colleague Mick Sullivan at McGill has done a lot of work on the relation between catastrophizing and depression in people. Um, catastrophizing is a process that uh, comes about when you have a lack of confidence and a feeling of a loss of control over your surroundings or your life. Uh, and you begin to think that without that control uh, and without any confidence that you can regain it, uh, things are all going to heck. And that can create biological changes in the brain that do all sorts of things, including migraines or ulcers or chronic depression or all three. That's neuroscientist Daniel Levitin. A more widely known symptom of postpartum depression is alienation from the baby. You don't feel bonded, and then you feel guilty for feeling that way, and it snowballs. This was not the case with Janelle with that first baby. I went back to work like in six weeks, and I had him in a daycare, and I just was not okay with it. <laughs> you yeah. know, I would leave work and go and at lunch and be like peering in the windows. Like I was just like a fucking nutcase. You were stalking your baby. I was stalking my baby. <laughs> and at that time we didn't have a lot of money. So it wasn't like the best daycare. I just, I just felt like shit about it. I started bringing him to work and hiding him underneath my desk. <laughs> wow. Because newborns, they just sleep if you're lucky. Yeah. My kid just slept and slept. But finally my boss was like, what's up with this fucking baby? You, you know filed I mean? your baby in your desk. <laughs> No, you know, in the not in a file, in a <laughs> under space, B under for your baby. Desk. <laughs> I'm like breastfeeding at my desk. I was like a revolutionary if you think about it. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. But at, finally, my boss was like, "You can't bring this this baby to, to work," and uh, so I quit. And uh, I was like, again, I'm gonna be super mom, 
even though I have this newborn, like the house is going to be spotless. I'm doing fucking elaborate dinner. I don't know why I'm like this, but I'm, I don't know. So that made me depressed, basically. Yeah. I put like so much pressure on myself and I was exhausted. Hormones, like everything, you know. Sure. And so, and you thought by by force of will that yeah. you could just overcome, overcome this it. just by being a badass. Yeah. You could or being a badass and making everything perfect. If everything's perfect, what do I need to be upset about? You know, if, right? If everything's perfect, then that eliminates the possibility of depression. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I remember because that guy. I don't understand. I things. don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's white people shit. It's right. really what it boils down to. You know what I mean? Like that's not. I'm not allowed to to do that. As an unofficial spokesperson for white people, I invite everyone to come into the tent and be screwed up together. But, and I've said this before, the extent to which you can afford to fight stigma is proportionate to how much privilege you have. I, for instance, am a white man and can socially afford to be open about mental illness because I have loads of privilege to fall back on. Janelle James is a black woman with much less privilege, and it's harder, and it's a bigger deal for her to talk about it. Janelle was more cognizant of postpartum depression after her second kid, and she said that knowledge alone helped her get through it. I knew what it was, and I just kind of lived in it for a little while, she said. So you have kid number two, and then you have this sort of huge lifestyle shift that happens at the same time. my dad got sick. And I like, you know, my husband like was in in his Ph.D. shit. You know, that's like a very. Those are hard to get. That's hard. That takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of work. And so I'm just in the house with these fucking babies and this goddamn garden that I hate now. And (laughs) that's like another fucking baby if anybody's thinking about starting a garden. But um, not exactly Juden Cleaver. Oh, my God. Not, you know, so um, anyway. My husband notices and he says, he comes home one day and he says, uh, I'm, I ran into this guy to back up. My husband had always said that um, I was funny. Like mm. he always was like, you're funny, like you're funny. But like co- comedy, I don't, I didn't know. I don't know where comedians come from. You know what I mean? You know, right. you're funny in conversation. You're, you're funny. <laughs> I know, as a you know, person. the prior, at that point, I wasn't like a huge comedy fan. I knew Pro- Richard Pryor, Chris Rock, you know, Seinfeld, stuff like that. But I didn't know there was like this whole world of comedians. And then how do you even become that? I thought somebody hears you being funny and they're like, let's go to Hollywood. Like, that's really what I thought. So he says, I'm, I ran into this guy and he runs this open mic. And you should go like you're funny. You should go like get out of the house because I never used to go anywhere except like the grocery store and shit. And who's so uh, got a double motivation there? Like, let's let's, you know, tell Janelle about something that she could do well at. And let's get her yes. out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> let's get her, get take her off house. the sweatpants yeah. and get out of the house. Um, so, well. I wasn't that. See, and I you think weren't that's sweatpants a, depressed. That's another white okay. thing. That's white thing. I was. I still had it together. Like I was. I would not sit the fuck down. That's part of it for me. Like if I get that, I don't like just chill out. I was like doing sewing lessons. I was like selling at a farmer's market. I was like just doing too fucking much. You're I'm missing just out, run. Janelle. I know sweatpants are fantastic. You really got to give them a, a chance on the chill time of on depression. all the white people things that we have developed. <laughs> For depression, like sweatpants. <laughs> Fucking ramen. I don't know. Oh, man. There's a whole thing. Mac and cheese. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I get depressed and just ramp up into type A bullshit. Right. But, You're um, an achiever. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm like, okay. 
So I go down. It's this uh, biker bar in town. It's called Memphis on Main. So I go down there and I watch it. And the guy was our neighbor. He like, uh, you know, introduces me around. It's like all like white mid- Midwest dudes and maybe one one woman. I don't remember. I think I was the only woman for a while. And I watch it and I'm like, well, I'm funnier than them. <laughs> I saw I sign up for the next week and I like write out my whole sad. I'm like acting it out for my neighbor. Like I remember going to his house and being in like going to his basement and like reading it off a notepad. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's funny. You know, that type of fucking right. shit. And uh, <laughs> I go back the next week and I didn't bomb, you know, and I think I did well. And um, and then I just never stopped. <laughs> what did that feel like that that first so you got up and you did well the first time out mm-hmm. what did that feel like amazing I mean obviously amazing because I just I, I remember getting like a good laugh and thinking oh this is what I do now like I yeah. remember thinking that like oh I'm a comedian just ahead the travels and travails of Janelle's comedy and her mind the Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having some laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying the disease a little bit, make it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do get better. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. That can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, what to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. I see people online, they say stuff like, if you want racism to die out, we just got to wait for all the old people to die. You ever heard anybody say that? Just wait for all the old people to die. Meanwhile, I'm in the gym. This 80-year-old white dude's next to me deadlifting 800 pounds and shit. They not dying. They not dying. That's all CrossFit is, is a racism training camp. I don't know. Back with Janelle James. So she starts performing at open mics every week at Memphis on Main, then playing the club on other nights and then hitting other clubs and VFW halls with other comedians that she met along the way all over Illinois, with one big exception. I never did Chicago until I moved to New York, (laughs) which is weird because what we would hear about Chicago, there was one. First of all, I didn't know anyone there. And then people would say there was one open mic that you could sign up. Maybe it was Zanies. Maybe you could sign up. You stand in line for up to, you know, two hours. You get a number. And if you get a number and that number, you have to then come back the next day to perform. Like, it was just like, I I can't do that. You know, first of all, I have kids and shit. I was already spending so so much time, you know, doing my little, not so much time, but I was like, I have kids. I can't go up to. Or money. I don't have, I have kids and I have no money. So I just never went up there. So I really just worked the, <laughs> the, uh, the outer ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that was great for me to, uh, to do it that way. Right. I, I didn't, I had no, 
I think you get to if you go to the city too soon, you see people doing well and you start to believe you should be them too early. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When they've been doing it for 10 years. When they've been doing it for 10 years and you get you become an asshole, I I think. And (laughs) so in Champaign, my goal at that time was just like, oh, if I could do, you know, dolphins in Idaho City, that would be, you know, (laughs) like the best. Or if I could just have, you know, if I could just do a weekend of uh you know, a month on the road, like that would be success to me, you know, which is a good way to think about it. I think when you first start. Yeah. Yeah. So then what did that, so you had been kind of in a funk and you'd had a lot of things going on. You'd had this big lifestyle shift. Um, you know, all the, I'm thinking about it, all the factors are there for depression. Yeah. It just all converge. <laughs> like I, I can't imagine comedy just magically cleared that also all Also in there, my marriage is like falling apart too. I forgot to mention Oh, that okay. Part. Well, there's that then. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, because me and my husband in New York, like, you know, we were like he was a musician when I met him and we've gone back and forth about who has money in our relationship, which is a a good way to do it. But he had no money. Then I had money. And, you know, but we had many points where both of us didn't have money. So we were just always together. You know what I mean? So to move to Champaign and have him get into this rigorous PhD and then I'm alone, you know, it was very, yeah. And you're in a spot where you probably need him more than ever, but he's in a spot where he can't be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, all that shit. Janelle and her husband were in different worlds. He was deep in PhD studies. She was finding a new thing that she loved, stand-up comedy, and she was good at it and it took up every bit of time and energy she could possibly give it. And then my, my dad was just getting pro- progressively worse. And I remember I was driving to the the jukebox, which is what I call my home club and uh, in Peoria. And I was going to do this contest and my brother called and he was like, dad died, mm. I, you know, but this is me. Like, I can't be sad. <laughs> I was already like, it's two hours to drive to the jukebox. <laughs> I was already an hour into it. So I was like, I'm going to go and do the <laughs> So you went and did the set? And I, I made, uh, I got third place. <laughs> I wow. feel like if my dad hadn't died, I would have won. No, I'm joking. <laughs> he screwed it up. <laughs> now, we shouldn't judge other people and their choices when we haven't walked in their shoes. But that's kind of a bracing idea. Playing a comedy contest immediately after getting news like that? Why did she still perform at the club that night? Well, there's an answer. It goes back to childhood. This is how we were raised. Like, my family is very, people from the islands are stoic. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's our British mm-hmm. influence. You know what I mean? So, like, even at the, and not everyone is like this, but me me and my siblings were definitely raised like this. And my, my father raised us. He's a very, like, uh, I have a whole bit about him being like a macho 80s dude. Like, nobody cries. And, you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? You were raised by by Black Tom Selleck. By fucking Chuck Norris okay. type dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, Black, Black Tom Selleck. Oh, that's a good discussion. Yeah, I always associate him with Chuck Norris because he was like always like sidekicking and shit. But anyway. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm a hard person to deal with because I grew up with a macho 80s dad. That's who raised me. You guys remember those guys? Like there was a time in the 80s where black dudes were really into kung fu. You remember that? Like my dad used to practice nunchucks in the mirror. Like, non-ironically, like straight up. 
He used to wear action jeans. Those were jeans specially made for sidekicking and shit, right? That's who I grew up with. So I don't know anything about men, you know? I don't think a man could come up to me, oh, I'm nice, I got my shit together, I got the house, I got the car, I got the 401k, and I'm like, yeah, but what your nuntuck skills look like, you know? Like, Can you protect me from ninjas to get the fuck out of my face? Yeah, that's that stereotypical WWE watching fucking macho dude, you know? Right, so, right. So, like, at my dad's funeral, like, all of my siblings, none of us cried. Like... <laughs> did you want to cry? Yeah, of course. But you didn't we cry? We didn't. Did you cry later? Probably. Did I cry later? <sighs> I don't even remember. We had a party. Yeah, <laughs> not not just a, a wake or a no, funeral, but we a, had a party. Well, well, and we also felt like that's what he would have wanted. Celebration you know I mean? of life. Kind yeah, of we thing. had like a fucking barbecue, and so like after, yeah, I don't even remember we were crying. I know I got like really high, and <laughs> I know we all got really high, and yeah, we just that's just how we are. We're all gonna fucking get cancer and <laughs> from our from all our, our repressed shit but um when my brother died we all went down for the funeral and it was in san diego and and we all went out for lobster <laughs> and i'm like this is great lobster <laughs> but it's odd to enjoy this <laughs> you know we're making small talk i'm like well all right let's uh, never do this again yeah um so uh, now i'm talking about it i'm like that's kind of fucked up i see i didn't even think of it like weird like we didn't cry and we had a party <laughs> welcome to public radio janelle janelle had focused on comedy and things started to happen pretty fast for instance the next step up from open mic is generally being the host at an evening of comedy introducing others and getting a precious few minutes of your own once i progressed into being able to get in these clubs, um, you know, you started as actually I kind of skipped host, which I'm sure if any comics uh, <laughs> hear this, they'll be pissed. But I was, I went straight to feature. So that that's and just to explain, to yeah, people, you usually host first. Yep. And then the club says, okay, you're ready. You maybe have 15 minutes, and then you go to feature, and then event. Hopefully, if you're lucky, you become a headliner one day if that's your goal. So I I I started featuring. And I think it's because of stuff like that. Con I did that contest. I won like a couple things here and there. And so I would get like uh, guest feature things and then I would do well. And then the club would be like, OK, you can feature for a headliner that comes through. So I would just drive. So those club nights in the Midwest happens Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday for at least two, three years. I drove two hours each way to one of these places like like dangerous places in the middle of nowhere, drove through cornfields, like mm -hmm. snowstorms. Like I was a nutcase. <laughs> but picking up the thread of her career, comedy had started as a way of getting out of the house at age 30. And now it was on a roll. And she thinks it's time to make a move, a big move to the Big Apple. Because remember, Janelle James isn't one of those lay around type of people with depression. She goes big all the time. Even before we moved back, I started like going and like staying for like a month. You know, mm. I went I would go and do recon is what I was because I knew I was going to eventually move back. And I wanted to not be new on the scene in New York. You this know is Turbo I mean? Janelle again. Just Turbo like, Janelle. I'm telling you, man. Yep. <laughs> um, somebody just wrote me this morning like, I'd like you to be my mentor. And I want I want to be like you. I'm like, I'm fucking nuts. You don't want to. <laughs> 
like I don't even know how to tell you to be like me. Like, why would I do that to you? you your but, your self help book would scare the hell out of people. I can't don't do cry. That. Have no feeling. Make people laugh. No. <laughs> Never ever sit down. So yeah, I was doing recon. I was staying, and uh, you know, we had old. I had friends that were there when you know when I first lived in New York that was still there, but now they you know they aren't comedians, so they had families and like places you know with extra rooms and shit. Perfect. So I would crash with them. I had a, I had like just a a, a janitor's key ring of all my friends. <laughs> keys and I would just try to crash in a different place every time I visited not to get on anyone's nerves but yeah. I did eventually get start getting on people's nerves and or just got tired of I don't like being in other people's space you know what I mean so one of my friends owned a bike shop and so I would sleep in the back of that bike shop wow. <laughs> so like a month at a time in like a tent it was cold back it was just a mess and she got a boost from a New York comedian formerly based in Chicago okay so in the Midwest Hannibal Burris is who I'm talking about. Hannibal Burris. He wasn't Hannibal Burris then, but he was big enough in Chicago and even in Champaign that we knew about him. And he had this show in New York at the Knitting Factory, which still goes on, but is hosted by, the, by other people now. Uh, that was so big at that time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, that I do. Show? Yeah, yeah, like we heard about it in Champagne, and everybody was just like, if you go to New York, you got to go to that show. If you yeah. do that show, that's your, you in. And so when I would be going, I would hang out there, and it's like a co- comedian's corner. All the comics hang out there, and I'd be in, like in the corner like a creep, you know, just like. <laughs> and every once in a while, I'd, you know, sidle up to him like, hey, I'm a, I'm a comic. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And, <laughs> and then one day he was like, okay, well, uh, email me your clip or some shit. And I was like, okay. So I did that. And then I'd visit again. Hey, I'm coming. You know, just that happened a couple of times. And then one day, one time I was there and just out of the blue, he texted me, Hey, are you in New York? I have somebody dropped out. Do you want to do the knitting factory tonight? And I remember <laughs> it's so corny. I was, I, I was out in public and I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, see, cool. See you tonight. And I punched the air like a, <laughs> I was like, yeah, like if I, if it was a movie, I would have froze, you know what I mean, at the time. Like I was so. Right, right. It's it's that moment. <laughs> that was my moment, man. And uh, <laughs> so happy. So anyway, I did. Uh, so I go there that night and I'm like, look, this is my fucking introduction of myself to like the real comics in New York. So I was like, I'm going to crush. And I did. And so. <laughs> Uh, after Hannibal comes up and he's like, yo, you're really funny. I was like, I told you. (laughs) And he says, I'm going to be doing uh, like a six night run in the Midwest. He says, you live in Champaign, right? I said, yeah. He's like, I'm going to be in the Midwest. I'm doing like six nights. Do you want to go? So I went on tour with Hannibal like the next day. Wow. Yeah. So. Can't beat that. Yeah. I always feel like, not feel like, but he's been a, he was a big part in why some people seem to think that I've moved quickly through New York. I mean, but you we, now I've told the, all the backstory, but he really like gave me that validity. Is that the word? Well, like, that's you know, that's the way it works. Like that's you know, the way it works. You find somebody who is further advanced who believes yeah, in you. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like not now, but a lot of people when I first was like, "Where does she come from?" Not knowing that I had been doing all that right, stuff, right, you know, and had been doing clubs and you know thirty minutes in the Midwest. Yeah, at that point for years. yeah for years 
Since then, headlining shows, TV appearances, invitations to comedy festivals, touring with Chris Rock. So was she able to achieve her way out of depression? Well, it's episode 13 of season two, and I think we all should know the answer to that one by now. I've talked with people who have done, have become super achievers mm -hmm. in order to uh, kind of outrun their depression, to, to like say, if I've achieved all these things, if I got into this school yeah. or if I got this club or if I made this movie, nobody who's doing those successful things could possibly be depressed. People who are depressed can't do those things. Right. I did those things. Therefore, I'm not depressed. Get out of my head. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and and then sometimes it works out and then sometimes it, it catches up with them later. Yeah, it probably will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like it's it's worked out? Like, do you do you like I mean, you, you say that you wouldn't recommend this sort of turbo Janelle approach mm -hmm. to other people. Mm -hmm. But has it worked out for you? Are you happy with it? I mean, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. I, comedy is so it's it's like perfect for me in that there's there's no end. There's always something else. And it's horrible in that there's no end. There's always something else. <laughs> um, do you like being on the road? Yeah, I do. What do you like about it? I like being alone <laughs> with my thoughts. I, I feel like I have, uh, I think, too much and not too much, but I think a lot. <laughs> I don't know how to, else to say that. Oh, yeah, that. no sign of depression there, Janelle. <laughs> Clearly, you've got the thing kicked. <laughs> and so I always feel like I'm getting on people's nerves with my thoughts. So if I'm alone, I'm not bothering anyone. <laughs> she says, I get on people's nerves. So if I'm alone, I'm not bothering anyone. And then she laughs. That is the hilarious world of depression in one sentence. I'm so glad we have comedians. Janelle's done a lot of living to learn about herself, her comedy, her mental health, the world. She's still working on the idea of depression being something you just freely talk about, like the weather. And she says, if you're just getting diagnosed with depression, maybe go to therapy. I'm not, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do as I do. Yeah. I went to therapy twice and I was like, fuck this. But uh, <laughs> why, why was that? I don't know. I just I was just like, how dare you even ask me? <laughs> must have been very pleasant patient none of your business how about that uh <laughs> i will go and write jokes about it thank you and the therapist is like it is literally my business <laughs> it is my actual business <laughs> it says so on my business license oh gosh <laughs> so yeah go to yeah do all get the meds all that stuff that they tell us to do and don't be like me. I Meanwhile, guess. you'll be over here not doing. I'll them. be over here doing comedy and eating, uh, you know, TV dinners in a Marriott. <laughs> the hilarious world of depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Recording engineer this time around was Veronica Rodriguez. Our technical director for this episode was Corey Schreppel. Christina Lopez is our web and social media sorceress. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our theme song is called Pagliacci. It was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller, the rock and roll musician. Much more about Rhett Miller, the rock and roll musician, is at his website, rhettmiller.com. He also plays in a rock and roll combo called Old 97s, and they are enjoyable to go watch perform. 
If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255, free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255, or 1-800-273-TALK. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation on a topic like this can be awkward. Make It OK has tips on what to say, what not to say, and has stories of hope from people who have been there and gotten better. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. We're on Twitter at THW of D. That's THWOFD. You can write to us at THWOD, THWOD, at AmericanPublicMedia.org. And we're on the World Wide Web with a website, HilariousWorld.org. Over at our Facebook page, we have some links to some fun stuff, fun videos starring Janelle James. You want to check those out. And hey, write a review of us for Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Apparently, the more buttons you push on Apple Podcasts, the better it is for us to reach more people, which is what we want. Miracle of technology. Just push buttons. I think it'll work out great. On our next episode, comedian Mike Brown talks about his friend who drew a pretty interesting line in the sand. And I can't really talk you down from this, but what I can tell you is that if you kill yourself, like, I'm not your friend. You know, like, I'm not messing with you. Like, that's it. And that's such a weird thing to be like, I'm threatening to take away this friendship if you die. Right. It's just like, yeah, of course, we can't be. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be no good going to movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I bring nothing to the table. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? I'm John Moe. Bye now. <laughs>